0: Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. In this episode, Dr. Roger Parrott shares how the most significant results he has seen as president of Bellhaven University have come without a plan. Tune in and discover how knowing your mission, gifting, and capacity enables you to take advantage of the opportunities God brings your way. Cultivate a theology of trust and become an opportunity leader that sees results far beyond anything you can plan. After the episode, check out our show notes on your favorite streaming platform and visit a wordandseasonpodcast.org to download a free 30-day devotional that will encourage you to draw closer to the Lord. If you have gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. It's a real pleasure to continue to interface with Dr. Roger Parrott, who is an author, but also is the president of Bellhaven University. Roger Parrott just wrote his book called Opportunity Leadership, Stop Planning and Start Getting Results. And I'm thinking, what a timely, timely book right now and message. And what a unique comment, especially when you said that we've been taught that those who fail, fail to plan. But you're suggesting that we give up planning altogether. I want to ask why such a radical recommendation here in a moment when you're saying, stop planning so much, just get it done, do it. We need leaders who'll get in there and get it done and not just always be thinking about the linear Western thinking of how we have to methodically do certain things. We need to have the content have the character, and then we need to move with almost like mass units today. We've all been taught about those who fail to plan, plan to fail, but you're suggesting that we give up planning
1: altogether. Why such a radical recommendation? Well, because planning doesn't work and uh, we all know it, but we won't admit it. Now, when I'm talking about planning, I'm talking about destination planning, long range planning. And so I think it's important to differentiate that right here at the beginning. I'm not talking about operational planning. Um, You know, at the university, we plan very well uh, what we know God's given us to do. We're going to teach English. We're going to run a football team. We're going to have a premier dance program. We know how to do that. So we, we plan that very well because God's already given us that we don't plan what's next. We don't plan where God's going to take us. And it's this dependency, an assumption that we need to be dependent on long-range planning. I think that's holding Christians back from God's very best, because no, it doesn't work. And we can show it over and over again in our own lives that the most significant things in our lives came through opportunities, not something we had planned. To take the Ukrainian example, if that president, when Russia first crossed that border, had said, well, we got to wait till we get a plan, Soviets would have overrun the country by now, five days later. Uh, Instead, they acted and they responded. And it wasn't the opportunity they chose, but it was an opportunity they were given. And of course, we've seen a world leader that has impressed the entire globe with his willingness to stand up and go. Even without a plan. And so we have got to, in the Christian world, stop settling. For the best we could come up with. And instead, let's start getting back to grasping what God has for us and not be stuck on our planning models that we assume the world and the people around us want us to have. And I can prove to you they don't, but that's a longer uh, segue. Many things happen to us that may be unexpected detours or
0: what seem to be distractions, but they become actually providential distractions. That God allows, and if we are sensitive to the moment, I, I learned this from Corey Ten Boom, reading her book *Tramp for the Lord*. Every situation might seem like a distraction or a difficult situation. But she tries to find what is God doing in the midst of that. And I know even for me in 2015, when I went through stage four lymphoma cancer and going to MD Anderson and getting chemo and still ministering and traveling, I used to think and say to my family, it's a ministry we didn't ask for, but it's a ministry nonetheless. And so we took opportunity of even a seemingly difficult situation To open up a whole new avenue of ministry to people that otherwise would have never listened or received the gospel. And so I just love the name of your book, Opportunity Leadership. You also have a great counseling school there and you also have the dance program. One of the people I actually had the privilege of leading to Christ 40 years ago is a guest instructor there quite a bit, Randall Flynn with Adam Dance Company. Yeah. So I had the pleasure of leading him and all of his uh, dance company at the time to the Lord nearly four
1: decades ago. Yeah, and our dance program is probably a good example of how opportunity leadership works because we are a premier institution in the arts. There is no other Christian college that works at the level in the arts we do. We're nationally accredited in all four of the major arts, music, theater, visual art, and dance. There are only 36 schools in America that are. So it's us and Ohio State and Juilliard and places like that. So we're the only Christian school working at that level, along with some others that they don't have national accreditation. But, you know, our creative writing program, Angie Thomas, who wrote The Hate to Give, is, is one of our alums. In like, fact, she wrote that as a senior project on our campus. That is a good example. We didn't plan to do that. We didn't plan to sit around conference tables and draw out a plan. How do we become the best arts program in the Christian world? No, it was one thing after another. God opened one door after another, after another. And we just... Faithfully walk through them. And I've often wondered why did God choose us to do this? I'm not sure other than maybe we were kind of running under the radar, uh, because we're not denominationally uh, controlled, and we were able to do some things in the arts to help redeem the arts that was not planned and the again the significant things we do mostly aren't planned there's a lot of this triggered for me about 20 years ago when Bellhaven was in a, a review with our crediting uh, agencies about 25 years ago I guess i had shortly come just before that as president, we were in trouble over the issue of planning. So I called uh, Tom Cortz, who was president of, of uh, Samford University at that time, who also was the chair of the accrediting board. And I said, Tom, I'm new to the South. I don't understand this accrediting association. I got this problem of planning, give me some guidance. And he said, I'll do better now. He said, I'll come over and see you. So he came over, spent a day with us and brought with us his vice president for planning. As we sat around a conference table, he said something that triggered my thinking and changed me forever. He said, You know, of all the significant things we've done at this university, I don't think the things that mattered most we ever planned. They were just opportunities, and we were willing to move forward. Mm-hmm. And that's when I began to let go of planning, because I was a traditional planner to them. I'd done all that. I'd appointed the Blue Ribbon Committees. I had the five-year plans and the 10-year plans. Now, leading for 20 years without a plan, it's the most significant decision I've ever made. It's the most freeing decision I've ever made. And it's the most trusting decision I've ever made because really we are 100% dependent on God to provide the next direction for this institution.
0: In context of even your dance program and being this incredible school of all the arts, the fact is that there's two components that have always intrigued me. One is how innovative you have become or have been uh, really ahead of your time, because back then there was a lot of controversy about the arts, even back in, in much of the church. And yet we saw so many people being touched by the Lord that were that were musicians, that were singers, that were dancers, that were part of the arts, ballet, tap, jazz. They were they were saying, where do we go? What's our outlet as, as believers? Belham became very innovative and ahead of its time to where now you're a premier school in these areas. The other thing you've shared with me over the years is that Every class at Bellhaven is not just about a world view, but you actually integrate the gospel into every
1: program you have. Yeah, we really do. And you know, I, I, I was with a, a friend not long ago who was so. Thrilled that at a major state university, they'd gotten a big endowment where they could talk in three classes about issues of faith. He said, Now we can't mention the gospel, but we in, in three classes. I thought, Are you kidding? At Bellhaven, we do it every single class we teach, whether we teach it in person or whether we teach it online or whether it's our graduate programs or our doctoral programs. Everything is grounded in a foundation of faith. And if we can understand how God designed the world and we understand God's Purpose in our lives, and we look at that in light of curriculum, then we get the best out of curriculum. A great example of that is in the business arena. You know, uh, probably a, a direction shaping book for business has been the book from Jim Collins, Good to Great. Well, Good to Great is a fabulous book. I love it. And it's research based on the best business practices. But if you go through Good to Great, all his findings are biblical principles. He just doesn't put the scriptures on them. And if you go in and put the scriptures on them, that is the best of teaching. Now, whether that's sociology or whether that's teaching nursing or biology or, or whatever the field, if you teach from a foundation of faith, then people are equipped for the tests of life and really can adjust to life. And that's probably part of opportunity leadership. You've got to be willing to adjust and change as life comes. If you're just stuck on your one plan and you only know one way to do it and you don't understand God's foundation underneath it, you don't have the flexibility or the stability really to bring about the change.
0: That's a great, great point, Dr. Parrott. In fact, you endorsed a book of mine called Leadership Awakening. One of the challenges we had was some were saying, well, Doug, everything you're teaching is great biblical principles and because it is foundational principles for lasting success. And so we really struggled. We wanted to go mainstream. Do we want it to really target and get the foundations first back in the church world? So we really decided to keep scriptures and, and not take scriptures out, but really explain every principle had a biblical uh, principle to it. And that that's what gives us foundational principles for lasting success. Interestingly, it was people that were owners of basketball teams, very successful business leaders around the world and university presidents that that really liked the book because even though it had scriptures riddled through it, it gave them a connection to the principles that were being laid out. And, and so I 100% agree with you and, and believe that Part of what we need today when everything's being
1: shaken is we need the unshakable principles of the kingdom of God. We really do. You know, I think one of my favorite endorsements of my new book is uh, from Jim Morgan, who was president of Krispy Kreme, who turned around that company. We all remember when Krispy Kreme was about to go bankrupt, and Jim turned that company around. He wrote about my book after he read it. He said, This is what we did at Krispy Kreme. This is exactly how we operated. And, uh, you know, as a strong Christian leader, you can lead even with Christian principles if you're not leading a Christian organization. So, you know, when I wrote the book, I wrote it for ministries and pastors and churches, but really it's applying to um, to Christians wherever they are. And it also applies to families. I mean, how many of us have a plan for our kids and we want to execute that perfect plan for our kids? And you know, when we do, we'll probably take them to a point of crashing and burning. You got to let go and let God bring opportunities into their lives. Let God do it his way. Let them be who they are. And when we let go of our plans, it's amazing the good things that can happen to us.
0: that brings me back to the two books that I have really utilized. One is your first book on The Long View, which was also, I believe, that was very providential at the right time and still being used today. But then your book, Opportunity Leadership, Why do we stay committed to planning even when uh, we know it's not effective?
1: You know, I think it's a magnet we can't let go of. And it's a security blanket. And it's a value added. I think for a lot of leaders, they feel like their responsibility is to bring the vision, bring the plan. Well, if I don't do planning, what do I do? Well, I can raise money, but, you know, that gets tiring after a while. So what really is my vision? What I find as a leader is I'm much more engaged in the direction and the future of the institution without a plan than I ever was with a plan. But I think there are a number of reasons we do it. One of the reasons that we do it is our boards expect it our boards come out of the business environment and they have plans and they have five-year goals and 10-year goals and they measure what's of value and and they want that to be done. Well, you know, it doesn't work in our arena, especially when you're trusting God at the level we're trusting God. And, you know, there's some uh, idea, I think consultants have made a lot of money on that. If you can't measure it, it's not near your value. Well, you know, the things that really matter You can't measure. I can't measure the transformation in a student's life because a faculty member spent two hours with them during the tough time of a hard decision. I can't measure the inspiration somebody got in a chapel service. I can't measure what happened on a football team when somebody prayed with somebody who lost a parent um, and just got news. I can't measure that stuff. The stuff that matters most, I can't measure. I can measure enrollment and money and that kind of stuff, but that's not what matters most. But we've gotten skewed by this. And and then I think it really just minimizes what we can do. It really does. Uh, And I give you a great example. And I I wrote about it in the book because I think it's so important. We're about 10, 12 years into not operating with a plan, and my board had bought in, the campus had bought in, everybody understood we didn't have a plan. Well, I went into a board meeting, I passed out a piece of paper, and it said five-year plan, And the board kind of looked at that funny. And I started to explain it and I chose my words carefully. So I was watching how I was saying this because of the point I was going to make. But I said, goal number one is to increase the enrollment 43%. Goal number two is to raise $21 million, which is for us was a lot of money. Goal number three of our five year plan was to build $31 million in new facilities. Goal number four, seven new undergraduate programs. Goal number five, eight new graduate programs. And I got to the end and I said, that is not the plan for the next five years. That is what we actually did the last five years. Now, here's the difference. If five years before I would have brought you this as a plan, we all would have cut it down by about two thirds to what we knew we could hit. And that would have been our plan. And -hmm. you also would have really questioned my judgment that I would think we could actually do something of that. Level planning minimizes what we can do, it homogenizes strengths. I talked to you a little bit about the arts, it, it focuses on our deficiencies. What do you do when you plan? You focus on what you don't have. When you live by opportunities, you focus on what you do have. You focus on how you can build on the good things God's already given us. Let's quit griping about what God hasn't given us, let's build on what God has given us.
0: And that sounds pretty scriptural, right? About the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus didn't say, do you have
1: enough to feed everybody? He says, give me what you have. Right, exactly. And God will do it over and over. I'm always amazed at how God brings opportunities to us and and helps us to Really take advantage of the moment if we'll be sensitive to the wind of God. And so the the image I use with our campus is a powerboat and a sailboat. A powerboat can kind of go where it wants to go and ignore the wind. We want to be a sailboat that's sensitive to the wind of God and catches God's wind and goes where God's wind takes us no matter what rather than a powerboat that ignores God's win and goes where we think God wants us to go. Now, again, all of us say we wanna do that. All of us believe that, but we don't live that way and we don't lead that way. We are leading by the world's model of how we go forward, which is to get around conference tables and whiteboards and come up with a plan and execute the plan. That is not God's way. And so with letting go of the plan, really takes a, what I call theology of trust. It really takes a complete dependency on trust. And there are times I have sat in my office, it's right after school started, and I've thought, I wonder what in the world we're going to do this year. I really don't know. But if you wait God will bring opportunities.
0: When you said there are some things that are measurable, some things that are not, I was thinking about the importance of oftentimes in our institutional ways of thinking in the past, we feel like we have to measure everything, but it's hard to measure the transformation of a person's life or the the moment that they're going through a difficulty, but processing through that. And so the difference would be in some ways, institutional versus relational and incarnational. And I think if we take that out, then we miss the real point of why we're doing what we do, much like the Good Samaritan story, that although the priest and Levite were on the way, probably doing something for the Lord, and yet missed the moment of opportunity that was relational in that moment that has become a legacy in, in Scripture
1: and in a story told every day all over the world. Absolutely. And, and the Good Samaritan is a great example of the difference between a long-range planner. And a opportunity leader, and uh, yes, the one passed by because they were headed someplace else; they had something else to do, and the other one stopped, which was an interruption. And you know, but when we look at the life of Jesus, his ministry was all about interruptions. I mean, how many times do we read he was headed one place and somebody asked him to go someplace else, or he was headed someplace and somebody touched the hem of his garment and he stopped? It was interruption after interruption after interruption. That was his life, except for his primary goal, which was to go and to be our sacrifice on the cross and redemption for our sins that he wouldn't waver from. But the day-to-day of his ministry was very much a life of interruptions, capturing opportunities.
0: Well, I'm really gleaning a lot from you right here, and I know everyone else is. So I'm going to kind of bring two kind of thoughts into a bunch of questions for you and, and let you just share it as the Lord leads you here. was there a specific event or situation that kind of flipped the switch for you to think about giving up planning as we've learned? And then secondly, did you have to do it cold turkey to change, turn off planning and start capturing opportunities? Or is there a process of this transition? Is it like the moving of an armada or is it like a windsurfer that moves quickly?
1: <laughs> yeah, that was a great question. You know, the, the on the first one, uh, I had been a long range planner. I'd, I had followed the Blueprint of all college presidents where you have the long range planning committee, you appoint them, you make a big deal out of it, you send them off to work for 18 months. And then you put out the report and it has five goals, which I can predict your five goals before you even have the first meeting now, at least of a university. And uh, I know what they're going to be before you you get done uh, or start. And then you put out the color brochure and you make sure in the brochure is a picture of somebody who is most against the plan because that way that'll buy in. And everybody gets a little piece. And, you know, it's just empty activity. That's all it is. It's empty activity. It doesn't do anything. But I had done all that. And so when I first came to Bellevue I mean, 26 years ago, I put in place the planning committee and we did the plan and we had the the five goals and we had the multi-layers under that, what we're going to do and all. And one thing I'd wanted to do because i would had a lot of history, with it was start college football, but I didn't want to fight that with a brand new planning committee and all the difficulty that would take. So I got it buried like way down the plan, like three or four levels down and figured, you know, that someday somewhere we'll consider this kind of thing. And so I was at commencement about my second year and I walked into the lobby at the end of commencement and was shocked to see a football coach that I had hired at the previous institution where I'd been. And I said, what are you doing here? And, and he said, well, I said, I thought you coached up there. And he said, well, they fired me after you left. Cause I had cancer. <laughs> so, which is all another issue. But um, so he was here in Mississippi and it just came out, Doug. I just said, well, would you like to start a football team? And uh, he said, yeah, I'd love it. God opened one door after another and off we took. And pretty soon we had football. When you start capturing opportunities. So many good things happen, and God just opens doors after another. I mean, there was a time we had 11 campuses across the Southeast as God opened doors for places for us to go and to serve. And I see Dr. Don Jones on this call with us, who led so much of that for us, was a tremendous leader in that arena for us. But I think that's also part of planning is That was a time for that season. And then we saw that market begin to change and go online. And we began to close those. And, you know, in the Christian world, we're not very good at stopping things. We're Mm. good at starting, but we don't like to stop things. And part of the reason we don't is we say, well, God let us do it. God, you know, we make our plan and we pray for God to bless it. And then we say, God, let us do it. And so God let us do it. And so there can't be anything wrong with our plan. And it doesn't work after a while. And then we say, well, what's wrong? And so we don't stop it. We start something on top of it. I think there is in part of opportunity, you look for the opportunities to start. You look for the opportunities to stop. And we did a world of good in branch campuses for a long time across the Southeast. And now that market's changed and that's fine. It's a very different thing. I had an opportunity come three weeks ago for a doctorate in business administration in China with the number one ranked university in China, Shenzhen University. And because we have a culture of, and you ask a question about culture, I'll talk about that here in a second. Well, we have a culture of capturing opportunities from the time of that first phone call till getting students enrolled, which is tonight, it was about three and a half weeks. It's kind of amazing. We can move that fast because we have a culture built around that. But you don't get that overnight. It does take time. It's a process. And I deep detail in the book the process because it's not something you can flip the switch. If you do, you'll probably get fired. So don't do that. Be careful. In fact, I wrote a scenario in the book because I, I thought I've got to show how dramatic this is. And I wrote the scenario about a Fortune 500 CEO who's in New York for the annual stockholders meeting, where they normally put out the goals for the year. Everybody's excited because the new goals. Are going to come out for the year, the new products, the new markets are going to go to. And of course, uh, the whispers are you know, we never m- meet them, we never hit them, but uh, we, we always hope, hope the next plan is going to be the one that's really going to do it. So everybody's excited, and the CEO gets up and says, I have something very different for you this year. Unlike last year and the year before and the year before where I laid out the plans, I'm going to tell you we are going to do something we've never done before, and it's going to be better than ever. We are just going to wait and capture God's opportunities. I don't know if we'll have more customers or less, but we're going to serve well the customers we have. I don't know if we're going to have new products or discontinue some products, but we're going to make the best products we have. And we're just going to trust God for the opportunities for this company, and we're going to go forward with that. And then I wrote in a scenario within moments of the first tweet going out, the stock price goes in the tank, the major vice presidents all quit. And by the end of the day, the president's fire. So you can't do this if you're just a leader and say, well, I want to do it. It doesn't work that way. you got to bring people along. You've got to build a cohesion around it. And it can be done. And one place, the, the best handle for starting is to look back at the last year, two years, five years, pick a time. And how many of the significant things that you spent time on that really moved the dial for results came through a plan or came through opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I've got, schools and ministries and others who have followed this model, who track that. And they report that to their board at every meeting, even though they still stay with the plan because they can't get rid of the planning because somebody really likes that. That's okay. You can still do opportunities when you get them into your forefront of thinking. There's a lot of process about how to get there. You got to be careful, but it really can be done. And on my campus where we so embrace it, it just allows us to move with the speed and flexibility that nobody else in higher education could do.
0: And I was thinking about the story when Paul said there may be 10,000s of teachers, but not many fathers. In that understanding of scripture, we had to see a change from institutional thinking into this transformational thinking of creating a new culture of understanding. Even in some of the things you've said in the book and the ways you've taught, and you mentioned earlier even about the culture. So how do you take these things that we know are truths and how do you acclimate it into a situation and create a culture by which people begin to understand it?
1: It starts with a commitment. You've got to really believe what we say we believe, which is God is sovereign and God's in control and create this theology of trust. And then you've got to clarify your mission. What is your calling? What's your mission? What are you uniquely called to do? And I, I write in the book about staying in your lane. And what I mean by that is that if we are so clarified in our mission, our gifting, and our capacity and we know what those are then when opportunities come we know which ones fit and which ones don't fit but it's very easy especially first of the christian world as we get jealous of what others are doing to drift into their lane to try to do what they do rather than doing what god's called us to do i think when we know our crystal clear in our mission we understand our gifting and that means the people that you have and what you're best at doing. And you understand the capacity. You know, part of the reason I could start this doctorate in China was that I already have an MBA in China. And we already have Mandarin faculty. So we had great capacity to do that and we have a calling to do that. We knew what that was, and so that's a really easy decision when God brings an opportunity like that. So I think it's that, and then you've got to redefine role definitions, and you've got to get people to buy in and get comfortable with it. It's a little unnerving because we live in a culture where people expect the leader to bring a plan, and then we're all going to execute the plan. We may not like the plan, but we at least know where we're headed. And in this, you literally sometimes don't know where you're headed.
0: You mentioned staying in your lane. I love that. We, we use that term as well because it's not a separation from, but if we all stay in our lane and we're part of the larger context of something bigger than ourselves for the kingdom of the Lord, that that we see more things accomplished because we're not wasting energy, resources, human or natural resources. Now, we equate it to the difference between you catch one fish with one fishing pole versus being a net. Each part of the net has its own function, but interconnected together through the Lord, we can do a whole lot more.
1: Absolutely. And, and we we're, we're, we've all got the same purpose. So let's not try to try to overlap with each other. You know, when we opened those 11 campuses across the southeast, I always made sure we went to cities where there was no Christian college and uh, we didn't go in on top of other schools. If there's a Christian college, why do we need to be there? We went where others weren't. We all believe that God uniquely gifts each individual. Well, why doesn't he uniquely gift every ministry organization or every single church or every business leader. Of course he does, but we've got to start living what we preach. And when we do, again, there's just such freedom in it. You know, I'm not worried about the future. I'm not worried about post-corona. I'm not worried about where the enrollment's going to go. Now I'm working as hard as I can to build that enrollment, but I'm not worried about it. God's got it. And whatever he brings is what the good results ought to be.
0: You conclude your book, opportunity leadership with retelling the story of David and Goliath. And what a appropriate story, even in the context of what so many are going through right now, individually, as well as corporately. Share with us a little bit about how you uh, bring that analogy into the book and even how that fits in the culture today.
1: Yeah, it was a fun story to conclude it because David, in the story of David and Goliath, really lived out all the key parts of what I'm encouraging in what I call opportunity leadership. And the opportunity leadership, when I started to write the book, I did not write it as a new model of leadership, but it really became that as I wrote the book. You know, I had to define it and really is a, a, I would call it a fresh model, not a new model because it is biblically based. So it's been around a long time. And David lived that out. David was fast, he didn't go to the front line of that battle that day expecting to participate. He went to take his brother's lunch, and he got pulled into this battle with Goliath. But when he saw the opportunity, he acted fast. He adjusted as he went. He capitalized on his strength. Saul tried to put his armor on him, and he said, no, I'm really good with a sling. And um, and he was really good with that sling because it was shepherd. He practiced forever and ever and ever. I think David knew he could win. He knew that he would win because God called him to it, but he didn't expect to win necessarily on the first shot. He took five stones. Well, if he expected to win on the first shot, why did he take five stones? I think that so often we expect that every single thing God gives us is going to turn to gold. Well, not necessarily. There may be a learning that God's trying to teach us that prepares us for something after that. David was good at that. I think he was supported by others. You know, he had this huge army behind him, cheering for him and uh, encouraging him. And he approached the battle with confidence. Everybody talks about the story of David and Goliath. And of course, they're using it with Ukraine and Russia right now. The little guy beating the big guy. I don't think that is the bottom line of the story of David and Goliath, the little guy beating the big guy. I think the story of David and Goliath, the point of the story is that Goliath never had a chance. Goliath never had a chance because God was on David's side and we get so overwhelmed with the giants of our lives. We're unwilling to move forward unless we get a perfect plan where we're confident we can beat them and we'll never beat them doing that. They will always outmaneuver us. We've got to move. We've got to go. We've got to start. I I push a lot in the book. There's a whole chapter on it is flexing for implementation. You got to go. And then David flexed as he went along. Again, he didn't plan any of that. He just jumped in and went and you flex as you go. And when organizations, ministries, churches can learn to do that, that's when we find God's very best.
0: In the book, David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell, I like what he said about that moment that David did what was unconventional. And in your book, Opportunity Leadership, there are times that maybe we have to go against what we've learned in the past. And we bring it to the context of what we're in at the moment to take opportunity of the moment, so to speak. And it's, it may seem unconventional initially until we see the victories that come from that. And it takes courageous leaders to be able to see that and to be willing to get, go against the grain to be able to do what they know is right rather than just going along with the flow.
1: And, you know, Doug, I think part of the reason Christian leaders don't is they really don't think God will bring them opportunities they Mm -hmm. think they've got to create them. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the turning points for me in this whole thing was we'd been into opportunity leadership for some time. And I had some international leaders who wanted to come and study it. And they came and spent three days on our campus. At the end of that time, and you've had these dialogues where you've had a retreat group together, and you kind of said everything that has to be said, and you're at the end of the thing, and nobody's got much else to add. And it was one of those quiet moments on the last night, about 8.30 at night, And one of the folks from South America looked at me and he said, you really expect God to bring opportunities, don't you? And it hit me. Yeah, I do. I really do expect it. And I think for most of us, we don't expect that they'll come. We expect that God somehow will give us a plan to get away through. We don't expect there's going to be an unplanned opportunity that will make things possible that we never imagined. (laughs) I never imagined... You know, the kinds of things that would come out of out of coronavirus and hor- horrible things have come out of it. But there's been a lot of good come out of it when nobody had a plan. You know, nobody nobody had coronavirus in the plan. So if you got a long range plan, you don't have one now uh, because nobody had a coronavirus in their plan. But what we learned from not having a plan was we could be a lot more innovative than we ever thought we could be. Churches can have ministry without having Sunday morning service, and schools can teach without students in classrooms, and restaurants can serve without their dining room being open, and presidential inaugurations can happen without a crowd. I mean, we, all kinds of creativity when you get rid of the plan. But when you got the plan, you never see the creativity. You're so stuck to it.
0: There's a question that was brought up by Christopher Daigle. He says, "Doctor Parrott, understanding your perspective on planning, how far do you forecast when making an executive organization decision?" Are you more of a prey and trust and move, or do you pay attention to patterns when making executive decisions? And how important is it to be a calculated?
1: That's a great question. I think there's there is a lot of art to it. It's not a formula. And I say in the book that this is not a formula. You know, I'm I've given leaders six talents they need to add to their leadership arsenal. I'm not saying replace what you've already learned at Harvard Business School or wherever, uh, or in Doug's book or someplace else. These are things to add on. And then how do you build the traits within an organization to respond? I think there's an art to it. And I think it's knowing, again, you're gifting your capacity and your your mission and analyzing that and what you can and cannot do. Uh, I think you hire differently when you operate this way because I like to hire generalists who can do a lot of different things and can flex and move very quickly. If you hire a lot of specialists, it's it's a lot harder to do. It really is just kind of a looking over the horizon. I think one of the gifts maybe God's given me is to see the future uh, organizationally. I can kind of see the challenges that are coming and, and know how to get ahead of some of those. But, you know, for actual, again, future planning. We just don't do any destination planning. We just plan really, really well what we know God's given us, and we trust God for what those things are going to be.
0: Early on, you had mentioned something that encourages me because often I've shared with our team and our affiliations globally that sometimes when you don't know for sure where you're going, I take a moment to pause and see where God has brought us from. And I bring that to the context of the moment to get some bearing of possible things that God is up to. So not trying to figure God out, but more like, God, how do we make ourselves available to you and take opportunities that that you bring before us? And and that might be the individual that comes in and there's a divine distraction that we have to stop what we're doing and what we had planned and get into God's plan for the moment. And so often I, I think of my a dear friend who's one of the very wealthy and successful managing director for a huge conglomerate in throughout the world. And um, in 1990, it asked me if I'd help disciple him. And I said, well, I can't disciple you from Houston, Texas, when you're across the world. But we became friends. And uh, as a result, that little divine distraction at the moment became a friendship that has lasted decades now. Because of that relationship, simple things like when there was the, the hurricane or typhoon that happened in Philippines, he was inundated by organizations from all over the world asking for money to help. And so he just sent them all to me and says, which ones do you think that, can you vet them for me? And I'm thinking, wow, so there was this trust that you mentioned often throughout this uh, Zoom call that it's an element of trust that has to be built. So it's relational, not institutional. Is there a way at Bellhaven, do you have your book, The Long View and Opportunity Leadership as part of a curriculum? that they can actually engage into a leadership plan at Belhaven uh, and uh, and also how can they get these books as well
1: I understand our MBA program uses it in their leadership book because when I'm giving out diplomas I get a lot of students come across and thank me for the book so <laughs> But I would never ask our faculty to include it. That's their choice, faculty-set curriculum, and I trust them completely. Uh, Books are easily available on Amazon, and it's the easiest way to get them. It's been really nice to see, and, and, you know, it's been, for a couple weeks here, number one bestseller, new releases in in church leadership on on Amazon so so that's nice to see you know it, it's a thing to bring a team around if you're a pastor i'd encourage you to get some of your board members or your key staff to read it with you ministry leaders because if you can do it together you can dramatically change how you lead and how you operate, and it will free you up to really find God's best. You know, I think a lot of us are just satisfied with mediocrity and just going through the motions of leadership, and we're not getting results. And I think God's got so much more for us if we'll get out of the way of our plan as our whiteboard and our conference tables and really let him uh, work in our lives.
0: Don mentions that Dr. Parrott, I've likened your approach to following the cloud. When God moves the cloud, the organization has to follow. But some of us really like it where we were. We get comfortable. We tend to grumble a lot. And that reminds me of um, a comment that my friend, Bishop Dale Bronner uh, out of Atlanta says that some people were meant to be part of your story, but they end up being a part of just a chapter. And then Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole, the founder of the Christian Men's Network, used to say There are times you don't uh, sever relationships, but you move to new levels of relationships. Uh, A lot of people, if we look at temperament analysis and so on, many people would rather, a large percentage would rather uh, keep the status quo. But in a visionary uh, season in which we're in, where we need leaders to rise for the opportunities or the occasions, we need to be able to move in that trust factor is where we have to be able to trust some of those who are helping us to move to that next level.
1: Well, change is very unsettling for everybody, and I'm convinced most people would rather live with mediocrity and just complain than they would to actually cope with the change, because change is unsettling. And part of the key of change, and I wrote about this in Longview, long view, not the new book, but the key of the change is you've got to help people personalize the change. And the example I give is you can, if you're a pastor and you stand up on Sunday morning and say, I've got great news, we're busting at the seams in our church, but somebody just gave us a $25 million for a brand new facility and everybody celebrates and isn't God good. And what's the first thought they have? How far difference is it going to be from my house that I'm going to have to drive? Where am I going to park? And what am I going to get my same pew back? Because until they figure out where they fit personally, you can't embrace the big challenge and you've got to help people. Find their place in the big mission of your calling if you expect them to excel and do well. And one of my favorite stories is I came across campus one day, and a couple of our maintenance guys were deep in a hole that they'd obviously had a broken pipe. And they were down about to their waist, and they were in muddy water, and they were trying to fix this pipe. And I came over trying to be nice, and I leaned over the hole, and I said, guys, what are you doing? And they said, we're training students for the Lord. And I thought, yes, that's exactly it. They're not fixing a broken pipe. They're training students for the Lord. And when people see where they fit in a mission, they can cope with change. They can cope with some of the getting used to what You might consider uncertainty with opportunities instead of plans, but you'll find it much more certain in the long run. They can cope with the adjustments that are always coming if they see where they fit in the mission of what you're trying to do.
0: You know, our friend Wayne Cadero in Hawaii wrote a book called Attitudes That Attract Success. And I think a lot of what we do is keeping our perspective. I think of the children of Israel, they lost sight of where they were going and only saw what they were going through. And and a lot of what you've been sharing today is about keeping perspective and just seeking the Lord and trust for the moment. You know, when I think about this, every one of us is given a level of faith or, or even a mustard seed of faith can move a mountain. So for me, oftentimes it's not the faith factor, it's the trust factor. Do I trust God to really be and do what he says he is and what he can do? And so I've really appreciated so much of this call today. Any final thoughts and pray for all of us that we would have the long view and that we would begin to understand the importance of the moment of opportunity that we have right now.
1: I'd love to pray on that. And again, let's continue to pray for Ukraine. You know, I was just thinking as we were closing up, because we started with Ukraine, I've got a chapter in the book called Getting Out Front, and how leaders have to get out front in the right way. Leaders are getting out front in the Christian world so much with their ego, they're not getting out front to lead. And I think we're seeing a demonstration of how that can be done differently. Let's pray for leaders. Lord, we thank you for the giftedness and the calling that you've given to leaders. Give them the courage and the wisdom, and the humility to lead so that you get the glory, and you get the praise, and you get the honor. They don't bring that to themselves, and in doing so, they help more people than they could ever help, and they do it in the name of Christ. In your name we ask it. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in
0: Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.